Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer and this is our first show in our new studio. That has been a long time coming thanks to the coronavirus. On tonight's program, it's quite a controversial one. I interviewed Chris Joy late last week and Chris was talking about the possibility of a 30 to 60% crash of the stock market. I of course did push him on when he thinks it might happen and uh, that's gonna be something you'd like to hear in the interview, but I've asked my expert guest, Julia Lee from Berman Invest, to give her reaction to Chris's uh, big call, as well as she looks at the stocks she likes with reporting season upon us. And then June Bailu of Tribeca Alpha Plus, she also had her opportunity to react to Chris's big call, and she likes four very interesting tech stocks at a time when tech stocks and payment stocks have been really beaten up. And then finally, we have uh, Paul Rickard reacting to Chris as well. And Paul um, t- takes his sort of considered view. Uh, Chris uh, and Paul both come from the bond market, but Paul later became a very well-known stockbroker as well. So he has a foot in both camps when he looks at the kind of big calls from a bond expert like Chris Joy. And of course, before Paul, there's the major interview with Chris Joy himself, which is, as always, quite entertaining and always insightful. But it doesn't mean that he's always going to be right. So that's the show for tonight. Let's kick off with Julia Lee of Berman Invest. Well, joining me now is Julia Lee of Berman Invest. Thanks for joining us, Julia. Now, Julia, before I start asking you about stocks, I interviewed Chris Joy um, late last week, and we'll, we'll show the interview later in the program. And Chris was talking about the likelihood of a 30 to 60 percent. I won't say correction; that's a crash. If you're talking 30, 60 percent uh, crash of the market, um, couldn't pin him down on when he thought it might happen. Uh, what's your view on that kind of extraordinary pullback of the stock market? And in fact, here in Australia growth is expected to be be much stronger than other economies. So I think here in Australia, we're going to fare pretty well. I think where that sort of prediction comes from around a big crash is that uh, usually when interest rates are changing around quite a lot, there can be policy errors by central banks. And I guess, especially in the US, they're so behind the curve at the moment. The fear is that they will raise interest rates too quickly at a time when the US economy is slowing down And given that we've been through the last couple of years with ultra low interest rates, virtually zero interest rates, as well as quantitative easing, there's not a lot of tools left for central banks to be using for an economy that is slowing down. But look, I think that's a bit too premature. At the moment, we haven't even seen one interest rate rise, although the market's pricing it in. And at the moment, it seems like, you know, the US economy does need an interest rate hike. Inflation is hot. The jobs market is strong. The economy is growing well. Um, So in that type of environment, you'd expect uh, the central bank to move away from the emergency measures that were uh, put into place during COVID. Yeah, and and I found it interesting that the NASDAQ went up uh, pretty strongly, despite the fact that the jobs numbers said interest rates will probably rise quicker than expected. And and ultimately, I think 2022 will become a battle between how strong is the US economy growing and how fast are those interest rate rises and will they really be damaging to an economy that's looking pretty good? 
you know, I think the great news for Australian investors is that, you know, we watch the US stock markets, but we're also influenced by what's happening in China because it's a major export destination for our commodities. And if we have a look at China, China's moving away from the rest of the world, where in most Western economies, they're looking at interest rate hikes in 2022, whereas China's actually be, has been already putting into place interest rate cuts. So I think the outlook for the Chinese economy to be stimulated and to grow a lot more strongly than forecast is looking bright and that also bodes well for the Aussie share market um, Australian investors our economy especially mm -hmm. our miners and certainly miners have been doing well in 2022 so far and I think they'll continue to do well for the rest of the year yeah okay let's go and talk about what you're buying now because you know there's a there's been a lot of sell-offs there's a lot of stocks that look like really good value um, I wrote courageously some of some of these tech and payment companies might look like good value now, but it might take a while before they actually materialise. But I did love the fact that Square went up 7% on Friday. And I figure the day Square really rebounds, other payment companies will benefit from it as well. Yeah, it's been hugely volatile in the tech space as well as in the property space. And I guess these are two areas that are hit very hard by uh, interest rate expectations. Mm -hmm. So I think th these areas are going to continue to be volatile as long as the market's still pricing in what's going to happen over the next 12 months in terms of interest rates. And the, the, the expectation is moving around so much. So, you know, it's not unusual for Square to move up 7% in a session and it's not not unusual for it to move down 7% in a session either. Yeah. I guess with reporting season, I've been focusing more on, uh, I guess, cycles and sectors that have been seeing a growth in earnings. Uh, and one area that I've been positive for a while is the agricultural space. Yeah. And that's yeah. because, you know, yeah. after a few years of bushfires, droughts, we've finally got rain, a good cropping mm. season. Mm. Last week, you know, New Farm was a standout. The stock was up 26% in a week. Um, and then today we also had a, an upgrade coming through for uh, new actually new farm was last week and then today we had grain corp coming out with an upgrade i'm very positive on the chemical side as well so the fertilizer side you know mm, i've liked mm. instatech pivot for a while the pricing there is very strong and russia at the moment has banned exports of ammonium nitrate, which is used as a fertilizer for the next two months. Um, and that should bode well for fertilizer companies. So we've also added Orica to the mix as well in that space. So I think the outlook for fertilizers is looking strong, not only because the agricultural space is doing extremely well, but on the pricing side, we've seen gas prices rising um, and Australian companies have a bit of a, a benefit there. Um, and also, of course, with that Russia ban as well, which usually sees a, a spike in pricing, but that effect is uh, felt in terms of more medium-term, long-term contracts as well. So yeah, liking both yeah. Incitech Pivot as well as Orica in that space. Yeah, um, you, you've become a bit of a country and Western girl over the last year or so, <laughs> and, and your tips have worked out for you. Um, so oh, I you, do so love you, farms, cows, <laughs> crops, canola crops, uh, the bright uh, yellow fields. Uh, <laughs> race horses. Now listen, uh, Julia, um, you talked about gas. Is there, a, is there a company in that space that you like more than any other? 
Look, I think uh, all of the oil and gas companies, the major ones are going to be doing well here in Australia, whether you're looking at Santos or whether you're looking at Woodside Petroleum. We hold Woodside Petroleum in the portfolio, mm. but with the electricity mm. prices, you know, we've seen AGL energy rising over the last yeah, couple of yeah. months. So one to also be looking at would be Origin Energy, which has the retail side of the assets, as well as the gas producing fields as well. So yeah. I think Origin's looking pretty interesting here, but, you know, we've re done really well through Woodside Petroleum over the last couple of months and happy to hold an overweight position there because I guess the thing with oil is that we haven't seen a lot of major investment coming into that space over the last couple of years because it's not you know very much in vogue in terms of mm, the environmental mm. aspect um, the social aspect of things and so I think we're still going to see very tight supply which means that prices will remain relatively yeah. high this yeah. year. And if you, if you believe a global economy is going to be expanding, people will be driving, planes will be flying, all that sort of stuff means the demand's going up. And as you point out, the supply capacity hasn't increased much in recent times. Absolutely. Please let there be some flying. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly right. Julie Lee, Birmingham Invest, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Pete. Well, I'm catching up with June Bay Lu of Tribeca Alpha Plus. And yes, we're in our new studio. Great to see you, June Bay Lu. Uh, great to see you, Peter. And it's very exciting to see each other in person. It is, yeah. <laughs> Um, even though this is not really a stock-related um, question, it's a relevant one because, you know, I know you've picked out stocks that you think will benefit from reopening and mm. getting back to normal. Uh, what are you seeing in the CBD now that you've got back to work as well? Well, what's, what we're seeing is that actually now the um, people are actually definitely visit, visitation to shops and to restaurants are definitely picking up. Um, we saw a momentary um, quietness uh, just around the Christmas period where Omicron was hitting the economy mm. and people were getting nervous around Christmas time. So January was very, very dead. Um, so if you talk to all the retailers, things were very, very quiet in January. Yeah. But we certainly have seen people coming back. Um, and if you look at the public transport, it's actually looking pretty full now. Mm. Um, you know, I'm looking at our office our office is filling up and most of the large businesses however have said that they will bring their workforce back by the end of this month so mm. that's all very good for the economy within you know the CBD area have you guys you know tried to work out the severity of Omicron and when it might dissipate because that's also an important indicator mm. when the economy might start roaring back have you got any insights that might excite either me or my, my uh, viewers? <laughs> well, actually, it's all good news. Uh, Omicron, in terms of severity, is far less severe uh, in terms of hospitalization as well as the symptoms and any of those. And that's been demonstrated globally. Mm. Um, look, it's more infectious, and we've seen how quickly the number built up. But the good news is we already passed that peak. In fact, we passed that peak weeks and weeks ago. So, mm. you know, if anything, it's actually good news now coming through. Uh, we're seeing Australian government today just talked about opening of the border for the tourists and things. Mm. That is very good news for our economy you know to bring back jobs bring back tourists bring back um, tourist dollars so mm. you know that is very good news and I think around the world uh, most of other developed economy will be economy will be doing very similarly in the coming month all right so we've also had a lot of excitement around inflation and mm. interest rates um, were you happy that the Reserve Bank governor isn't sort of instantly falling in line with banking economists who thought that August will be the first interest rate rise. And they could still be right. Mm. But are you happy that he's not ju you know, jumping at or fighting the bit to actually raise interest rates? 
Yeah, look, I think I think absolutely. Well, look, I'm not surprised. I think he's doing the right thing mm. because economists, in a way, um, they they tend to assume everything goes up or goes down mm. in a straight line. So, um, and often, quite often, their predictions isn't exactly correct. Um, now you're being nasty. <laughs> that's <word>. right. <laughs> look, um, I think you know all, because because they change their view over time when the data comes into mm. play. Right now, yes, the inflation is high, but not as high as the U.S. Yeah. Um, in the U.S., in, inflation is incredible. They have to do something in the short term to bring that down whereas Australia our inflation is there but our job growth our job um, employment um, number is looking strong but we still um, big part of the economy wasn't really open so mm. you know we couldn't open the border we don't have enough people to hire so we have um, you know all these inflated costs um, for the time being yeah. um, but in the next six months when things reopen um, certainly big parts of that inflation will come through um, when it will actually start to dissipate and this is what the government governor is saying that yes we will increase rate but you know, at a slower pace. Okay, that we seem pretty sensible. In America, they're really getting excited. Mm. They're, they're, and after that job number on mm. Friday, uh, those who might have thought four or five rate rises in a year are now talking seven or eight. <laughs> What's your take on that? Because for me, there's two, two. One is, yes, the US economy is going gangbusters, or B, maybe that data wasn't reliable. <laughs> of course it's not reliable. And uh, we have seen so much noise um, during those um, um, you know, short-term data trends. Mm. Overall, the data trend is showing it's getting stronger and then the employment is getting better um, and uh, wage growth is coming through. So this is what they're a little bit worried about for the mm. time being. Um, and uh, look, a, a market talking about interest rate increase of seven times, that is just um, you know, ex ex probably on the more extreme levels because we still have to see how the economy is going to respond once you put up a couple of times. We've seen UK put up their rates twice mm. um, and um, you know New Zealand put up their rates a few times. Economy is still going okay. Then mm. you'll start seeing increasing number of rate increase. Mm. Uh, but remember at this point it's still about bringing policy level back to normal level mm. because the interest rate is still way below what it was before yeah. pandemic. And I guess the, the, the point that none of us can work out that if Omicron dissipates and a lot of these supply chain problems progressively mm. get better, mm. then the inflation that comes out of that will come off the boil and that might reduce the need to raise interest rates so rapidly. Absolutely. So this is when I say that um, economists tend to look everything in the straight line because when that data point changes, um, they most of them will probably expect the rate increase will get pushed out. Yeah. And no central bank, all the central banks around the world have been very committed um, not to um, burst um, not bubble, but you know, not to burst the economic uh, activity yeah. at this point of the cycle. Okay, now I've written something for the Switzer Report today where I, I call it a gutsy play. <laughs> I'm, not I'm not trying to say this is actually a, an absolute winner, but it seems to me that A, tech stocks and payments companies are really being clobbered. And I noted with great interest, like if there's a, if there's a, a flag-bearing company for payments companies, it has to be Square in the US. Mm, mm. Now, it's been clobbered, down 64% since last mm. year. But I noticed last week it had a 7% rise in one day. <laughs> uh, now, you can't use one day as course, a goal, yeah. but it seems to me, because payments companies like PayPal's been mm. built up, mm. Zip, Afterpay, all these have been built up. Mm. It seems to me sometime this year, there could be a turnaround for both tech and payments company. Mm. Am I being too optimistic? 
I think you're absolutely right. I don't think you're overly optimistic. First, in terms of turnaround tech, I actually think in general tech, um, you know, they have been sold off a lot. And not just tech, gro it's growth companies that's mm. been sold off a lot last month. Healthcare companies, yeah. Cochlear, CSL, ResMed, all of these businesses are trading at probably the cheapest um, has ever been yeah. with the structural growth layer. So these are the companies I think they have bottomed. Mm. Um, they have already been derated and it's a great buying opportunity actually uh, enter now. Mm. In terms of payments business, because the reason being they've done so much is because they were more expensive than others. So mm. they have been rebased. And also another reason being that payments business have been a big beneficiary of the COVID. So people do a lot of online shopping mm. and that there's been a lot of transactions through. So, so far the expectations sort of, you know, the companies are not really hitting the expectations. So mm. sort of a little bit softer than what people are expecting. So the share price come off a little bit more than normal. But next 12 months, not only you'll find a buying opportunity in those companies, uh, there will be a lot of M&A, um, mm. especially in that buy now. Yeah, I know that Zip's talking to Sezzle. Sezzle, that's right. Yeah. Um, and the share price still all-time low. You yeah. know, if you look at Sezzle, um, it had a brief jump and then sort of come back down. In fact, if anything, actually it does look very interesting in that space. But be mindful that these other companies don't make cash flow. So, you you, um, you know, when the market going through big volatility, they tend to get sold off the mm. first. But it's absolutely representing options. All right. Now, uh, I've, in this program, I've also interviewed Chris Joy, and Chris is saying that you know, when interest rates rise, it could be a 30 to 60% correction of the, well, there'll be a crash of the market. I, I did get him to agree that there's no guarantee it's going to happen this year or maybe even next year. Well, what's your, your take when you, you hear and read things like that? I wouldn't listen to a fixed income guy talk about equity markets. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's absolutely wrong. <laughs> um, I think you've seen enough of the volatility. It's very easy for fixed income market to talk about, oh, you know, equity valuation so high and all of that. Mm. But look at the fixed income markets. Um, a lot of real rate, a lot of bonds are trading at negative yield. That is to for investor to give the bond issuer money to yeah. hold to buy their bond, which yeah. is ridiculous. So you know, all of these are trading at extreme valuation and relative to fixed income equity actually never look um, so cheap it actually looks really really cheap mm. and now with the valuation come off 10% uh, well come off quite significantly yeah. actually for some of the Especially really expensive the yeah. that's right very expensive part uh, and with the underlying earnings growth is still very strong in Australia if you take our resources company next 12 months we're looking at high high uh, high teens growth mm. um, that's something like 17 18 percent growth yeah. for those businesses at the same time we're looking at dividend yield uh, of close to um, eight nine percent mm. um, that's a dividend yield so so that's a lot of return uh, compared to what you get from fixed income. So equity yeah. looks really incredible. My, my argument against Chris's was that in the short term, it's going to become a battle of how good is the economic growth mm. and how fast do central banks raise interest rates. Mm. Now, if they don't raise interest rates too, too fast mm. and growth is really, really good, mm. I think the stock market can keep going up for one or two years. What do you reckon? Oh, I think stock market is looking one or two years. I wouldn't put a time frame, but mm. I think it looks incredibly strong for the next couple of years. Mm. Um, and I think this is the time where you should look at some of the growth companies mm. um, because very soon, right now we're going through a gyration. People go, okay, we have to reprice growth companies. But very soon the, uh, the, uh, the world and the investors will realize uh, world is still going to lack growth mm. after the world uh, the economy reopens um, because cyclical companies will continue to struggle to find growth mm. um, and on a five-year view not many business can grow so the growth company will still be, have a premium to the rest of the market so it's time to actually look at some of those um, okay so leaders. before you go give us your favorite three growth companies that you think look like great value now 
Absolutely. So SEEK, I like. It's derated. It's going to have a good result. And then this employment market is incredibly strong. Uh, zero is another one. Um, it's not going to report this reporting season um, because it's out of cycle. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's a Kiwi company, it's really. A Kiwi. It? <laughs> That's right. It's global and a share price come up a lot. Um, yeah. Another business is worth looking into this result is WiseTech. Um, mm. Again, it got derated. and uh, But look, last result was just incredibly strong. And we think it still have And if you momentum. believe that the global economy is going to be doing a lot of growth, mm. a company in the logistics space you'd expect to do pretty well. Absolutely. Mm. There's another. Well, there's plenty of them. There's another one I want to sneak in, which is IEL. Mm. You know, hasn't been talked about for a little while. Share mm. price come off a little bit, um, but that's education. Yeah. You know, education. We got the borders open now. Eventually, students going to rush back. And don't forget, they're not just Australian markets. UK market, which the market is already open, yeah. um, and it's going to do very well on the longer term. Four great growth stocks from Jim Bailu. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. That's Jim Bailu of Tribeca Alpha Plus. Well, joining me now is Chris Joy, and the subject today is, is Chris Joy catastrophizing our future or are people simply misinterpreting him? Chris, thanks for joining us. Hey, Peter. All right. Now, a lot of people read you, Chris, of course, and some people, I think, do misinterpret you. But I want to get to the, the heart of the matter. There's a lot of controversial things going on. We saw the stock market sell off. It has rebounded. There's big calls out there on interest rates, and interest rates is your beat. You know a lot about interest rates. So let's start off there. What do you think is going to happen to the Fed this year and the number of interest rate rises you're expecting? Yeah, mate, since last year, um, so since late last year, we have thought the Fed would raise five, six or seven times this year. The market was pricing three and we thought the market was complacent and <clears throat> we thought the re-rating of uh, expectations for rates, Peter would trigger a five to 15% correction in stocks in the short term. And <clears throat> that's more or less what we've seen uh, uh, to begin this year. You know, they've pulled back, uh, I think at one point, uh, the S&P 500 was down north of 10%. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, the, the NASDAQ much worse. Uh, they've come back and then given back those gains uh, somewhat overnight. So I think the first key point is you've got um, <clears throat> the highest wage growth, the highest core inflation, and the highest uh, consumer inflation expectations since <clears throat> really the uh, early 90s. And that demands a normalisation of rates. So that's probably why we've been negative on both equities and also <clears throat> crypto. Uh, when we called out crypto in December, Bitcoin was at 52,000 US dollars. Um, it's since traded down to 33K, but we've also been negative on our market uh, on credit spread. Right. Okay. So th that was what you called. I'm more interested in what you think is going to happen between now and, say, the end of the year. Now, I've, I've been predicting volatility uh, for a variety of reasons, not categorically because of the number of interest rate rises you're talking about. I just thought that the markets were certainly uh, overpriced, um, particularly tech stocks. And I, I could see tech stocks were going to cop it uh, as interest rates were going to rise. I didn't know how, how many they would rise by. But I still have the, the belief that 
our market will go up by at least 10% this year after a, 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 a period of time where volatility prevails. So, Chris, tell me what you're expecting, uh, first of all, for interest rates from here on in to the end of the year, and then what you think will be the implications for stocks. Yeah, so I think the RBA will lift two to three times. We've thought since last year that the RBA would uh, start raising rates late this year or early next year. And the <clears throat> brisk inflation data really does suggest, coupled with the employment data, that we'll see the first hikes this year. Um, as I said, we're expecting six or seven hikes from the Fed. Um, we do think <clears throat> US equities probably need to adjust down by 30 to 60%. So if I look at a, um, a Schiller PE ratio, so this is a cyclically adjusted PE, right now the US equity market uh, <clears throat> prices are trading at 37 times earnings. The only time we've seen that level of valuation uh, was in 2000, just before the tech wreck. And then US equities fell <clears throat> 50%. Now the average PE uh, has been around 17 times and the median's been 16 times. So we think uh, stocks have really rallied about 30% uh, above the pre-pandemic peak on the back of cheap money. And as that cheap money becomes <clears throat> much more expensive, we think asset prices will adjust down. So whether that happens this year or next or the year after, uh, that's an open question. What we saw uh, last time the Fed hiked rates was um, they started in earnest <clears throat> in 2016 and stocks actually rose in 16, 17 and through part of 18. Right. So it's not inconceivable, you know, the rally could continue, but my fear for equities is that the Fed's hawkish and they have an inflation crisis. Um, all the alarm bells on almost every single economic measure are ringing loudly core inflation, wages, uh, unemployment at 3.9%, for example, and core inflation's around five, uh, <clears throat> wages are around five, consumer expectations are between <clears throat> six and four for one and three year future horizons. And this is a bit of a nightmare for the Fed and indeed for all central banks. And the other thing that's worrying is it does appear to be global, this is a secular inflation um, uh, increase, and it also seems to be driven by both supply and demand. So very tight labour markets are creating <clears throat> a lot of wage inflation, and that's fueling back or, sorry, feeding back into uh, what looks like a, uh, or at least the beginnings of a positive wage price spiral. So um, I do disagree strongly with the idea that equity should rally 10%, Peter. But I will emphasise here <clears throat> that um, 
I'm not sure about the time horizon. My, my sense is over the next couple of years, we'll start to see a very big correction, okay. um, but I'm not certain. On house prices, I have a strong... Hey, hold, hold, hold the house price for a minute because it's a, a separate section and, you, and it's an, an area where you have good expertise. My view has always been this, Chris, that the central banks have to be very careful about raising interest rates too quickly for the reasons you pointed out. The, the impact of a 30 or 60% correction in the stock market is not going to do anything for economic growth. And we all know the fiscal settings of, the, of governments around the world are such that they really need growth to, to pay for the, the kind of deficit spending they've been involved in. So I'm hoping... Where you get it wrong is that the Fed, though being hawkish, still might only do three or four interest rate rises this year, hoping that Omicron fades out and therefore the cost pressures in that inflation story talked about start to dissipate. Now, if that happens, I'm a chance for being, being right and your interest rate rises will more or less happen more in 2023 than 2022. And I've got to say, I've always been a bit worried about the stock market 2023 rolling into 2024. So I guess that's going to be the big watch. How aggressive is the Fed? If the Fed ends up being less aggressive than you think, then we should be less worried about a big stock sell-off. Is that a fair call? Yeah, listen, I think your hypothesis was probably uh, the Fed's view in December. Uh, it's perfectly reasonable and it may come to pass. So you, you could well prove correct. I think the problem um, is I fear that <clears throat> the Fed thinks the neutral or normal cash rate is 2.5% and they're at zero. Yeah. And given 5% core inflation, 5% wages growth and 3-point-something percent unemployment, they shouldn't be at 25 right now. <clears throat> they should probably be at 3 so they want to get there as quick as they can. Mm. So I'm kind of with you, though, that I'm not convinced the normal cash rate is two and a half. Mm. I think because of the level of debt, <clears throat> it could be a fair bit lower. Uh, here in Australia, the RBA says the neutral cash rate, amazingly, is three and a half to 4%. Now, that would mean mortgage rates around six, so <clears throat> from two currently. Uh, I think the risk, the real risk with the Fed is that the inflation is persistent, the wage pressures feed back into that inflation this year and next, and the Fed keeps on hiking until they do see a big correction in the, uh, the equity market that may well stop them in their tracks. Yep. The risk is um, that we get sustained inflation. And actually, the only answer <clears throat> is a recession in the US. And so another way of sort of saying what I'm saying is the Fed's trying to normalise rates, but they'd also say that they're trying to normalise the cost of debt and the cost of equity. <clears throat> so they actually have equities in their um, financial conditions index. <clears throat> and so for life to go back to normal, they actually need to see uh, adjustments upwards in rates 
And I think downwards in equities. Mm. Yeah, I totally see it. I just think, I, I hate saying this, Chris, because we, we've laughed at people in the past who've said this, this time it's different. But really, this time it is. You and I have never seen interest rates so low. The fact that you're actually even arguing that the normal cash rate may well be a lot lower than we historically would expect it to be, all it tells us that this time is different and therefore using history as a guide may well not be as reliable as what might be needed with all the multiple objectives that the Fed must have. And one thing I know for sure, no central bank in the world and no government in the world really wants to contemplate a recession either in 2022 or 2023. They might live with it in 2024, but they don't want it over the next two years. Fair call? Yeah, um, I think they definitely want to avoid a recession. And this is where the circularity you're talking about um, comes back. But or, or, I think that circularity is very important or the um, <clears throat> so-called endogeneity. I think the reason this time is different is not because of the level of rates, although that's important. It's because we haven't seen inflation like this mm -hmm. since the 80s or early 90s. And in the past, when stocks fell 30%, <clears throat> the Fed would cut and they'd do money printing and they'd buy everything. But they could only do that because there was no inflation problem. So that's what happened in 2018, or particularly in 2019. And they raised rates, equities fell, then they cut. And yeah, my fear is, mate, that that freedom, that optionality to just pour money on all our problems is dissipating. And unfortunately, we may have to have, we may have to adjust to structurally higher rates so, you know, a cash rate north of 2% in the US, which I think will be a shock to the system. <clears throat> so I, I personally think, you know, they'll, they'll move pretty quickly to 2.5% because that's where they got to in 2018. And Powell was governor or chair in uh, 2018, and he oversaw those hikes. But I'm not sure neutral is 25 I think neutral could be, you know, more like one5 but let's see. Ultimately, it's the empirical question. I think the, the difficult thing for investors is <clears throat> I don't think this Fed this time around will be de as deterred by stock market turbulence and movements in bond and credit markets as it was in the past because this time is different because we obviously have this inflation shock to contend with. We also have very low levels of unemployment. Chris, let's go to housing. We haven't much time left, but you've got a view on housing. House prices, are they going to rise this year, fall in 2023, or are they going to rise for both years? Yeah, buddy, so we've been, you know, unfailingly um, <clears throat> or extremely consistent on house prices. So, you know, we, we called the boom between... Um, uh, mid-19 and March 2020, we called that very modest correction. We called the uh, subsequent rebound in September 20, expecting 20% capital gains from September onwards. We then, a few months later, because mortgage rates fell further than they were at that point, um, we revised it up to 20 to 30% worth of capital gains post-September 20. And um, we've certainly seen that. <clears throat> you know, we've seen almost 
uh, you know, I think 26% capital growth since uh, September 20. And that's all been driven by <clears throat> purchasing power. It's been driven by cheap money. So late last year, we said, uh, in October last year, so October 21, we said we thought prices would rise another 5 to 10%. Since that time, they've risen about 3.4%. But we did say, unfortunately, <clears throat> that after the first 100 basis points of mortgage rate increases that uh, and RBA cash rate increases, that national prices would pull back 15 to 25%. I don't think it'll be a disaster. <clears throat> I do think it'll be orderly. Um, and it's just about the normalisation of rates and therefore purchasing power. The RBA cash rate mate in May 2019 was 1.5%. Today it's zero or 0 0.1. So since <clears throat> May 2019, house prices nationally have risen 35%. And all we're saying is as rates rise back to those levels, we think some, not all, of that price appreciation will be paid back. So I've been accused, wait, wait, just, just let me make one point. I've been accused of being a preternatural housing bull, you know, in the March 2020 period when everyone said I was mad to think prices would only fall zero to 5% and then rise by 20%. Obviously that's what happened. And now people are kind of describing, describing me as a perma bear, but really we're just trying to divine our destiny and we're trying to bring our horsepower to bear on the problem of what will unfold. And that uh, set of forecasts <clears throat> will obviously vary over time, mate. Okay. It's a, it's a fair call. And um, primarily you've been accurate. You're, you're even accurate on your calls on the, the spread of the coronavirus or when it would peak. So um, thanks for joining us, mate. And we'll catch up to you, with you in the not-too-distant future. Thanks, Peter. I really appreciate it. Cheers, mate. That's Chris Joy from Cool Bar Capital. My next guest is Paul Rickard of The Switzer Report. I want to talk to him about Westpac and also ANZ as well. But also I want to get his uh, uh, reflections upon what Chris Joy is talking about, a 30 to 60% crash of the market. Paul, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. Let's start with the banking story. You, what, what's your view on Westpac? I know you wanted to talk about it today. Yeah, look, I mean, Westpac reported a quarter result last uh, Thursday. Today we had ANZ. I think the characteristics of both results, Peter, of clearly there's net interest margin pressure. In other words, uh, you know, the, the margin between what they lend at versus what they borrow at are still is, is a lot of pressure occurring there. Mm. Uh, and that's going to continue. And a couple of factors driving that, first of all, has been uh, the banks have all run up a lot of liquid, so a lot of you know, sort of cash on deposit with Reserve Bank and investing in, in very low-yielding assets. Mm. But secondly, you know, the, as we've seen in the, uh, in the home loan market, uh, and in the business market, a lot of people borrowing fixed rate, and banks make a smaller spread on uh, fixed rate mortgages than they do on um, you know, variable rate mortgages. So that's what's driving it. I think the, the story about Westpac though, Peter, coming back to your question was that, um, 
Look, about nine months ago, Westpac got up and told the world that they were going to cut their cost base to $8 billion. Now, yeah. that was from a then current cost base of about $12.9 billion. Jeez, so they were going to go almost a third or a bit more than a third over four financial years, yep. which I think the market, no one really believed. Now, part of that came from selling businesses and, um, you know, some of the, obviously a whole lot of costs going into remediation, you know, because of the financial crimes and other yeah. problems they've dealt with. But even so, they're, uh, they still have to cut operating costs by something like 25% over four mm. years. And so the positive in the first quarter figures um, that Westpac showed last Thursday was that uh, they actually cut their costs by about $200 billion. So that's progress, mm. but there's still a long way to go to get towards the $8 billion. So the, the actual cut was $8 billion? Well, it's, it's, it's taking it from almost effective $10.5 billion as you adjust for inflation mm. to, to $8 billion. So yeah. it's about 25% in outright terms over four years. Yeah. And Westpac so far have managed about $200 million. Mm -hmm. Now that's a positive. Uh, and they say costs are going to come down further during um, this financial year. But, you know, that said, there aren't too many companies, Peter, that have cut their, you know, cutting costs has been a story to get to glory. And, yeah. um, you know, I think Westpac's, you know, it's probably one of the, the causes they need to follow. But they've also got to focus on revenue growth. And there's really precious little of that. Are they going to buy at this, these levels, Paul? Well, I think the market, we saw about a 4% rebound on Westpac shares. Um, I think they're sort of a bit in the middle of no man's land. Like, they're cheap. There's no mm. doubt that Westpac is, is the cheapest bank. But, um, yeah, you still can't. And, and while they're obviously going to make some headway in cutting costs, there's not nothing that suggests that the company's really got the strategy or the leadership in place to actually think about growing its business. Mm. And I think the other thing that's a bit of an irony with Westpac is that... Um, yeah, they had this strategy of not so long ago, Peter, of sort of um, one kitchen, many dining rooms. So the whole idea is they owned these fantastic franchises called St George Bank, mm. Bank of Melbourne, Bank of South Australia, and they've virtually disappeared in terms of there's no separate organisation. There is no separate sort of differentiated offering with their customers. Mm. They may as well almost get rid of the, of the, of, of the different brands. Mm. And you reflect on that and you think of the billions of dollars of value destroyed. Yeah, St. George um, was a very good brand. It was name, a very fantastic brand, incredibly nimble bank, you know, market leader in many areas. And you wouldn't know it today because everything's in, in just comes under the name of the big W. Mm. So they may as well get rid of the brand. So the branches still exist, but for all intensive purposes, they're exactly offering you exactly what you can get out of, of a traditional Westpac branch. Was so, that a Freudian slip when you called uh, Westpac Big W? Well, <laughs> they have a Big W, Pete, don't they? I don't mean, uh, I don't mean the retailer. But look, I mean, are they a buy? Coming back to your question, uh, I think they're. I think the NAB is still the best best positioned bank because uh, CBA is the best bank, but too pricey. Yeah, CBA is the best bank. I think you sort of have. I don't say best and the worst, but you know, to me. There's a bit of mean reversion, that is, the banks sort of rotate amongst themselves. I, I like ANZ the least, that's why it's come down. Mm. Uh, Westpac has got hit hard because it, it reported so poorly last time. It's sort of recovering, but there's no, you know, it's a brave person to go really go 100% Westpac. I think the bank that's doing most out there and is the most nimble and the working the hardest is NAB. Mm. Uh, and that's the right be after the CBA looking. Okay, let's uh, get you to talk about, so Chris Joy, I've interviewed him on this program. Uh, and uh, you know, Chris thinks that interest rates are going to rise quickly. 
you know, he said seven or eight rises before those job yep. numbers came out, so he got that right. Uh, but he thinks that you know, the end result of interest rate rises and the fact that the stock market got ahead of itself is that he sees a 30 to 60% fall in the stock market. I then pressed him on when it might happen. And you know, basically, it could be this year, it could be 2023, it could be 2024. What's your view on, on a big Look, stock market? I don't think we're going to see 30 to 60%. And uh, uh, as, a, as an ex bond trader, I understand where Chris is coming from. But mm. uh, bond traders don't have a great track record with the stock market and vice versa. Mm. Uh, bond guys are smarter, but the stock market's not always very smart. Right? <laughs> <Right>. uh, <laughs> Apologies to all my broker and fund managers out there, but still, go on. Yeah, but look, um, I don't think we're going to see 30 to 60% because fundamentally, I still think that there's enough uh, in the data to suggest that some of the inflationary pressures are transitory because mm. of uh, COVID-19. And I think we're forgetting, as I keep sort of... Uh, saying to people is that we, we, no one could quite explain why inflation became so low during the, the, the last couple of decades, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and I they think couldn't get it up. The they, they couldn't tried. get it up. And I think what people forget about is that part of the, the, of the reason was that we had this enormous disruption caused by new technology. Correct. And we still have that same disruption out there. The whole digitisation effect yeah. has meant that most companies can't raise prices. That's right. Because there's always somebody else coming along. There's a fintech if it's in finance or some other new startup yeah. that's going to eat their bacon yeah. if they're not careful. Eat their bacon. It's the first time I heard that before. But well, I, that's, sorry, I'm mixing metaphors <laughs> or something. Right, right. It's a good but, one. Uh, it's a good one. Yeah. Oh, it's an original one, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, but, but and, and yeah. so that ha that factor hasn't gone away. Yeah, and so sure, while we've got you know, a lot of COVID pressures, we've got supply chain disruptions. We know commodity prices are high. You know, there's reasons why inflation's up. I'm still on the camp that this is going to be transitory. Yeah. The reserve, but the Federal Reserve will raise interest rates. Mm. I'm not whether I'm not sure it's going to be seven times. Mm. I don't think they want to kill the place. No. Uh, and um, you know, the, 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 we're going to see some sort of orderly rise in interest rates. And as you you point out in the data you've published in the Switzer report, mm. the, the, that the data actually says that interest rates going up statistically is not bad for stock markets. Correct. Right? Yeah. yeah. So. Look, I can see why people are getting concerned uh, and, you know, good bears come out of the hibernation, which they do, mm. uh, as soon as they get the first sniff. Yes, after but, losing know, for a long time. Yeah, we're still in a correction, right? Yeah. The, the long-term trend is, um, is, has not been broken. And anybody who's saying 30 to 60%, look, and I, I appreciate Chris is doing for the right reason, yeah. but it's really a little bit headline-seeking, I think. Yeah, and, and the bottom line is... One day there will be a, a crash. It always is. And I, and I've got to say to our financial planning clients, I said that 2022, I'm confident. 2023, I'll be less confident. And 2024, I could be a little bit scared. But I still think there's probably one to two good years for the stock market left. Paul, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Ben. It's Paul Rickard of the Switzer Report. And that's the show for tonight. Don't forget, what we look at here are sort of short views on very interesting stocks. The Switzer Report gives you in-depth analysis by a whole range of experts who spend a lot of time looking for the best value stocks out there. And sometimes I'll tell you, it's time to get rid of stocks as well. So think about subscribing to The Switzer Report. Go to switzerreport.com.au. Once again, thanks for joining us. I'll see you on Thursday night.